2: Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670, the score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is the score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station.
3: The score score!
1: We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Thanks for listening
4: this Saturday Morning. Welcome back Inside the Clubhouse. David Hall, Bruce Levine for another hour. Talking Cubs, talking White Sox, talking Baseball Hall of Fame induction on Sunday in Cooperstown. And that brings us out to our guest hotline, sponsored by the Circuit Resort Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, joined by baseball columnist from the New York Times, Tyler Kepner. Good morning, Tyler. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing well. We're looking ahead. We're trying to get the White Sox revived here. They went into the All-Star break really strong, winning five out of six, Tyler. Last night was not the start that a lot of Southsiders had envisioned. As we sit here, one game into the second half—the so-called second half of the season—after the All-Star break, how would you describe the White Sox uh, when looking at what they have done and, and uh, what they've accomplished?
2: Well, I really thought they'd—they'd, they'd, uh, you know, ha- take this division and, and take it pretty easily. It, it's been—it's been a struggle. Um, I think what's happening in—in—in in, in their favor is that. Uh, I, I, I still don't really look at the Twins or, or Cleveland as a team that can can really pull away. Um, they might be one of those teams might be able to win the division, but I don't think they'll they'll pull away from the pack. And I think the White Sox have enough talent to to stay close enough. So um, you'd like to see them though, you know, make their move or maybe kind of get on a big winning streak and put some distance uh, away from from 500. But uh, it just hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, I, I I don't know after 90 games or so if it will, but. Uh, you know, there's still a least hope because the division's not all that strong and, uh, and the White Sox do a lot of talent.
3: Tyler, first of all, welcome. Always a pleasure to have you on uh, as both a friend and as a great analyst of the game. When you see how managers are shuffled now and, uh, you know, comp- teams that are expected to be competitive, uh, you know, getting rid of their managers regardless of their. Uh, cachet or their previous success, how, how different do you think the game is from the front office point of view? Do managers still have the, uh, the clout that they used to have? Are, are they just truly just middle managers who uh, really don't matter all that much to uh, the, the front offices any longer?
2: I think they matter. I think they matter, though, in in probably a different way. They don't have the uh, <clears throat> autonomy and, and the the kind of authority um, that they did uh, for for many many years. But um, I think they're important in communicating the the message um, of the organization, right? Like they, whatever the front office wants, it's their job to a be on board with it, and b um, get the players on board with it. And so they're kind of a less of a sort of master strategist decision maker um, now and more of a, uh, a facilitator and, and, and communicator of the of the vision because you really need that buy-in you know that, that's what we see with Tampa Bay you know part of their success is that you know Kevin Cash creates a culture there where everybody understands what they're doing and, and understands their place within it um, so I think that's the big part of a manager right now.
4: And along those lines, Tyler, I think it's interesting. I was asked a question this week on our morning show. One of the callers said, okay, we know what kind of scrutiny Tony La Russa receives in Chicago. We provide it on a regular basis ourselves. But what is Dusty Baker doing? What is Buck Showalter doing that maybe Tony La Russa isn't? Or is that an even fair comparison? Because what you see is a lot different results with managers who come from the same generation.
2: Yeah, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't know exactly what to say without having been around the White Sox too much um, this year, uh, you know, to to know really what's going on with with, with Tony and how he how he gets things across. Um, but you know, there's certainly endless baseball knowledge there, um, just like there is for Buck and and uh, Dusty. Um, you know, they they obviously weren't out of of the managing chair as long as Tony was, but of course he was still very closely connected with baseball. So, um, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, he won a division last year, so obviously he still knows, uh, knows what he's doing. Um, just like Buck and, 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 uh, and Dusty do. Um, I I kind of enjoy seeing those older guys, uh, you know, have success like Brian Snicker last year, you know, baseball lifer came up to the Braves organization and just been there, you know, for decades. Uh, and, uh, and he wins it against a guy like Dusty who's, uh, who's one of the oldest out there. So that, I think that's, that's kind of a fun reminder that, uh, you know, there is a lot of value still in experience and not just uh, parroting a front office line.
3: So the Juan Soto situation, Tyler, you look at, uh, you know, the buzz going around, you know, turning down, you know, close to half a billion dollars from Washington. Washington saying, OK, thanks. Uh, we want you to now take him and Corbin if you're another team out there. Uh, how realistic is the trading of Soto when most teams are looking for two or three bullpen guys or another starting pitcher to really make them into contenders uh, in the last uh, half of, the, not, not last half, but the last 70 games of the baseball season. How realistic do you think it is that he goes? And how realistic do you think uh, teams like both the Chicago teams are viable if indeed you feel that he will be traded?
2: Yeah, I definitely think there's a
3: there's a good chance, um, and I think it's interesting though
2: because uh, he's not just a, a a short-term rental, right? Like you say, uh, maybe a, a starting pitcher or a reliever um, could you know could just be around for a few months and get you a lower-level prospect. Well, with Soto, you have you know he's given you three shots at the uh, at the World Series, you know, with this year and the next two years that you control him. Um, so he's going to command, uh, quite a bit, you know, for three years of, a, of an elite, uh, elite player. So <clears throat> the question then becomes, um, you know, who, who can put together the, the biggest package, um, from, a from what should be a really long list of, of, of options, right? Because, um, even if you're not hundred percent in it this year and like the Cubs, you know, maybe you feel like a Juan Soto could, could, change your fortunes uh that much um the next couple of years the, the question is you know I, I, we see with washington how how he you know he alone can't do it they're they're a terrible team because they don't have much around them so you're still going to have to have a lot around him um as well as the big time uh prospects it's going to take to get them so it, it's it's not an easy deal to pull off but because there are so many potential teams um who could afford them uh, I, I, think, I think we could see something.
4: Financially, Tyler, do you think that the next team or suitors for Juan Soto have to be willing to just afford the next two seasons before he hits free agency or willing to invest as much as $500 million in a 23-year-old? Is there, can, you, can you be a team that may not be able to do the latter but willing to, able to do the former?
2: I think you can, um because I think with with <clears throat> with most clients of Scott Boris, um, they like to hit free agency and and, and see their true values. So um, I think you you should probably assume that the player will uh, become a free agent and then that you'll then you'll have to uh, bid on him then and and probably outbid everybody then. Um, there are exceptions. You know Scott has made deals before free agency with other players, but he's one of the least likelier agents to, to go that route. So I think when you get Soto, you should just understand that it's going to be for these this year and then two more. And then, um, you know, see if you can create an environment that he likes and, and that he'll want to stay with you if you make the winning or the close to winning bid in free agency.
3: Yeah. What's wrong with David and I were talking Tyler about what's wrong with uh, him being the first $50 million player and taking a six year deal and then going back out at age 29, after making 300 million dollars and uh, adding on another 500 million if he wants to at age 29, I, I think I think the game would be much better and teams would be less leveraged if they just pay the money upfront. What What are your thoughts on baseball continuing to go the uh, Verlander way? Hey, you know, if if, if uh, someone someone offers me six
2: for 300. I'll uh, I'll run there and sign. I, I you know, and I wonder if, if if Soto would do something like that because you know Boris, um, understandably, likes to have those benchmarks that that push uh, push the salary uh, floor higher and higher. And fifty would be a new a new benchmark. Um, so I think when you look at at, at uh, his sort of his his way of thinking, you know. Yeah, I mean fifty would be a, a reasonable benchmark. It'd just be a question of, of whether Soto would want that or whether he would want the longest deal um possible. I mean remember you know, we were having similar sort of talks about Bryce Harper back in the day and, mm-hmm. and as it turned out, you know, Bryce uh wanted the longest possible years, um and he took a little bit lower AAV um to do it without any opt outs. Um you know, does Soto have a similar feeling. I, I, we don't really know, um, but when it came down to it, um, you know, we don't always know what what they want. But certainly, a fifty million dollar a year deal for a
4: five six year term um,
2: is interesting because it would set a new a new bar, and uh, I know that's important to them.
4: Talking with Tyler Kepner from the New York Times here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy the score. Okay, so there have been a couple minor moves that have gone on before the deadline on August 2nd. I think the Mets traded for Daniel Vogelbach to get a left-handed bat in their lineup, and you hear speculation. Biggest names, it seems, from a pitching perspective, Tyler. Luis Castillo from the Reds getting a lot of speculation and interest, and also, I guess, from a positional standpoint, Wilson Contreras might be the biggest name out there. Uh, What is your expectation for both of those guys getting moved?
2: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would think they would move him. Uh, I don't know the uh, maybe the Cubs would want to try to, um, I mean, if you, if you're the Cubs, you should try to resign Contreras. Uh, obviously they let the other guys go from, from the 16, uh, championship team. Um, but the way it's, it's been going, uh, out there, you know, it, it seems like that that's probably where it's headed. And certainly with the Reds, um, you know, with the extra year control and the demand for a guy like, uh, like Castillo, um, it it really makes all the sense in the world for them to do it um, because they <clears throat> you know, they stripped down pretty far to begin with and um, yeah you know, they held on to Castillo as a piece to kind of uh, auction off at the deadline if he stayed healthy and did his thing and and he's 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 held up that part so I would trade him as soon as I possibly could because the last thing the Reds would want would be him to and go out and 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 hurt something um, and ruin his trade value uh, right before the deadline I mean if you, if you if you like Jose if you like Luis Castillo on August second, you like him now, so there's nothing really more to to see. I would trade him. I would trade him yesterday.
3: Tyler Kepner from the New York Times, our guest for a few more minutes on Inside the Clubhouse. Tyler, I asked Rick Hahn this question yesterday. I'm going to ask you uh, because uh, I really, uh, really count on your baseball knowledge and your your vision of the game. And that is, uh, shouldn't the trade deadline be now, at the very least? August 15th, and maybe uh, a, a smarter date would be September 1st, knowing that we have uh, expanded playoffs, knowing that uh, teams like the Giants, for instance, if they get sweeped this weekend and they're so far behind and they're starting to drop seven or eight games behind in a, in a wild card, they have more time to figure out whether they want to trade uh, Rodon or they want to trade Jack Peterson and set them set themselves up for the future. Uh, what do you, what's your perspective on an August 15th or September 1st trade, trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, it, it gives you less time
2: with the player, you know, less time for him to make an impact. Um, so there's that. Um, but, you know, then again, you can always trade the guy, you know, whenever you want. Before then, it doesn't have to be right at the deadline. Um, you know, we're already at August 2nd, so it's really only two more weeks. Um, I have to think about it and talk about it with, with some more people to know to know for sure. Um but, uh, yeah, it'd probably be all right with me. I mean, I, I do, you know, sometimes when you see these teams who of giving up in July, it, it, it creates a, a, a pretty long stretch of, of the season, um, basically a third of the season where, you know, fans have paid for tickets, you know, maybe hoping to see one kind of group of players, and, and, and the team's given up. Um, so that's, that's, that's never a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but remember, uh, back in the day, it used to be June the 15th, so... Um, that was a little weird. You know, I remember, I yeah. think uh, the, the fever trade was June 15th and the Keith Hernandez mm-hmm. trade and stuff, the Lou Brock trade, yeah. I believe. So, um, so back clear. in the day, it was yep. even earlier. Yeah. Yeah.
3: All right. Well, it wouldn't be a a, 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 segment with Tyler Kepner if I didn't ask him a trivia question. Tyler is probably the best trivia guy I know in our business. So, uh, Eddie Goodell, 1951 walks, uh, Stirs up, uh, you know, new world with uh, Bill Veck having put a, a small person uh, in there. Uh, the pitcher who th- walked Eddie Goodell was
2: Vec is in Iraq recently, like Bob Grimm or somebody.
3: Close, no. very close. You had the first. you, you nailed the first name. Yeah, well, everybody back then was named Bob, so I had about a half, <laughs> half a chance to do that. And I'm going to <laughs> raise. have an Uncle Bob? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to raise with you. I left the word out. I'm giving you a hint. I'm going to raise, raise taxes for not knowing.
2: Raise, uh, raise taxes? Raise, raise hell! Raise the ruckus! It was uh, Bob
3: Kane. Bob Kane. Bob Bob you Kane. Okay. Close. All right. Bob well, I'll, I'll throw.
2: I'll throw one trivia question at you about that game. All right. Who's uh you either know this or you don't. Who's
3: uh whose
2: jersey was Eddie Gaydell wearing? His one eighth jersey. Who did it belong to?
3: So it actually one eighth belonged to somebody?
2: Yeah, his, his one his his little jersey, his one eighth jersey, it belonged to somebody who is still very prominent actually in baseball today. This was his jersey on that day he lent it to Eddie Gaydell. Wow. And now he is a very prominent man in baseball.
3: Uh, he's, but back he's then he was career, the bad man. boy
2: for the Browns.
3: Okay. Um, I will Got say, me. I'm, I'm a, it's got to be a, is, a guy. Go ahead. He is, he is the
2: owner of your St. Louis Cardinals, Bill DeWitt Jr. That was his jersey oh,
3: wow. that Eddie Gaydell
2: was wearing. Because that's a much Bill better... DeWitt. Yeah, his father owned the Browns, I believe, at the time. Well, right. it was Bill Belichick owned the Browns, but his father was, I don't know, some some uh, big executive. And uh, yeah, so little Bill Dewitt Jr. now, all grown up, owner of the Cardinals. That's his jersey, and I believe it is on display at the St. Louis Cardinals Museum outside Bush Stadium. I believe it, it might be might be down the road, down the, down Main Street here at Cooperstown. But I think it's in, I think it's in the Cardinals Museum. So that's some that'll blow your mind there to think uh, <laughs> to think. Uh, the owner of a current team was, uh, you know, had had the Eddie Giddell jersey. Pretty cool game. I we love know.
4: that you stumped Bruce, Tyler. They, nice job. Well, well he done. he
2: stumped me too, so. Yeah. All right.
4: All right. Tyler, <laughs> Tyler from the uh, New York
3: Times. Sorry we didn't get around to the Hall of Fame with you, but uh, just uh, give us uh, 20 seconds on uh, your thoughts of this year's uh, group going in. Well, I think it's great.
2: Anybody uh, who's talked to Jim Cotter over the years is really happy for Jim. He's a wonderful guy. Um, 83 years old uh, Tony Oliva uh, 84 so it's really good to see guys like that um, inducted when they're still here able to enjoy it I was over at the Otisaga yesterday and just seeing seeing the Hall of Famers come up to uh, <clears throat> to Jim and just sort of pay their respects Mariano Rivera came up to him and Dennis Eckersley and I'm sure all of them <clears throat> last night so that's really fun and of course David Ortiz first ballot bringing a lot of fans here and a lot of uh, you know a lot of David Ortiz kind of star power so it's it's uh it's neat and then you know you have uh four others who who are who are gone but who uh who are great contributors to baseball too and Minnie minoso and uh, of course very important to you guys there in chicago along with uh gil hodges and uh and and bud fowler the pioneer um so you know it's going to be at buck o'neill obviously so it's going to be a it's going to be a great day tomorrow
4: enjoy the weekend tyler thanks for joining us always uh, appreciate your insight all right, guys. Thanks. Have a nice day. Tyler Kepner from the New York Times. Bruce, when we come back, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame weekend. Minnie Minoso is getting a long-awaited honor. He is being inducted into the baseball hall of fame will talk to his son when we come back inside the clubhouse chicago
0: sports we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's better here. only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch
1: We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
3: Everybody up here at U.S. Cellular.
2: Sox five runs, six hits. The 2-1 to Bartlett. Swing chopped to short.
3: Ramirez has it. Throws. Bartlett picks the perfect game. His second no-hitter. He now hits the Tampa Bay Rays. People going crazy here at USL. He's mobbed by his teammates. A perfecto.
4: It couldn't happen to a better guy. A perfecto indeed. 13 years ago today, that was the voice, the familiar voice of the late great Ed Farmer right here on the score, Bruce Mark Burley's perfect game. I'm sure that you remember that. Well, it was part of a, a career that one day may land Mark Burley in the hall of fame. Perhaps he's on the ballot. He'll stay there, Bruce. You remember that day?
3: Oh yeah. I was there. I, I saw both of his, uh, as Ed described it, no hitters, perfect games. And, uh, that segues us to the Hall of Fame conversation to our next guest.
4: Yes, it does, right here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7, the score. Time now to go out to the guest hotline, home of the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, And that is where we find the son of White Sox legend, Minnie Minoso, Charlie Rice Minoso. Charlie, thanks for joining Inside the Clubhouse. How are you this morning?
1: Doing really well, thank you. Uh, it's been a It's been a very emotional and surreal uh, last couple of couple of weeks and months, but i uh, excited to connect with you both today.
4: Now that it's here, now that you can uh, anticipate you're going to bed, you're going to get up and, and, and welcome Cooperstown is going to welcome Minnie Minoso into the Hall of Fame. How would you summarize the emotions of this weekend? <laughs>
1: uh, well um, I, I don't I don't think you or or any of your lic- listeners have enough uh, have enough time for me to get, get into that uh, specifically but um but I would say that uh, it's really bittersweet is, is is the best way that we've been describing it um, you know it's sweet because you know my uh, my father and and many many of his uh, uh Many of his peers have, are, are being uh, recognized for all their contributions, not just to, not just just uh, a, a sport that uh, they've all loved, but um, but also to the community and the larger impact that they've had uh, on, on you know those uh, with whom they've uh, they've connected and touched. But um, it's also been bitter because, uh, especially like in Dad's case, uh, we wish we wish he were here to to see it himself and, and celebrate it and. Uh, but we know that he's you know, looking down and uh, and with us in spirit.
3: Charlie, what have you and your mother uh, gained other than obviously the notoriety for uh, for many long overdue and the, and the fact that uh, he's going into the uh, being inducted tomorrow into the Hall of Fame? What what have you what have you learned about his impact on people uh, since November when it was announced and now um, and now. Uh, over this last couple of weeks that you've been uh, talking to people, what what have you learned about the impact that he had not only as a great player but as a person on people that you didn't really know
1: so so um, you know I, I would say beyond just uh, his his annou- the announcement in December, uh, I would actually say it, it, it was it goes back a little farther than that from right when dad had passed uh, you know when <laughs> When he passed, and there's the the city celebrated in in the most beautiful way. You know, to, you know, has joined us in in celebrating his life. You know, soon after uh, the the celebration of uh, uh, Ernie Banks's life. I mean, it, it was almost like uh, this uh, this uh, overwhelming uh, font of nostalgia and and uh, amazing stories of uh, for the last few years of hearing how how. You know, just what a great person um, so, so many people felt that was. And, and of course we're biased, but, you know, he, just hearing those stories about how he, uh, you know, just, you know, met someone and, and, and really uh, made, made a, made a very organic impact um, really. And just and exemplifying how he was just a hall of fame person, although I thought he was a hall of fame dad and, <laughs> and uh, and, uh it's really meant so much to to hear these interpersonal stories and 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 those interpersonal impacts um, that he's had, but then also too um my my brother um arrestus um, jr uh, he we also lost him earlier this year and he played with dad uh, in the Mexican professional leagues and he was you know very, very dedicated member of his of uh, his congregation, had many friends throughout throughout the city, throughout the country, and um, just like our dad, he, he knew how to connect with people, and, you know, hearing these stories of how, you know, the two of them m- have made such impacts on individuals uh, in the large and small ways have really made, uh, they've really meant so much to our whole family. Joined
4: by Charlie Rice Minoso, the son of Minnie Monoso, who enters the Hall of Fame on Sunday in Cooperstown here and inside the clubhouse Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score Charlie I was fortunate to be part of an MLB delegation media delegation back in 2015 and went to Havana and I was uh, uh, knocking at the door of I would believe it would be your cousin who was living in the house that Minnie built uh, way back in 1955 I believe it was and there was a there was a portrait of him hanging uh, on the wall and, and the memorabilia in that house was special and the the reaction from people who maybe knew him or remembered of him, the point is, Manny Minoso in Cuba, it, the celebrity, the stature, the what he was there is hard to describe. It's hard to capture in a newspaper column or on a radio show. How would you describe it knowing what you know about where he came from?
1: Well, Honestly, from from a humble ranch in Cuba to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, I mean, it's a it, it, it's a remarkable way to honor a life dedicated to a sport he loved, um, and, and and that that love transcended um, it transcended uh, orders and cultures and uh, so much. Um, but I, but also too, I, I would would love to. To mention how you know this is also Dad's Not First Hall of Fame, um, in which he's been inducted. He's he's in the halls of of, of other countries as well, from um, from uh, Mexico, Cuba, the, the Dominican Republic. So uh, it, it's been uh, it's been so uh, it's been so amazing to to hear and be reminded of all of these various contributions of, of of Dad and his colleagues who. Uh, have really contributed to the sport and and also what it, uh, what it's meant to uh, Latinos uh, throughout throughout the um, you know throughout the, you know this part of the, of the world. so um, i I'd say that you know this weekend has really been uh, a wonderful a wonderful way to recognize those many contributions to to those pioneers, uh, like like Dad, Tony Oliva, Luis Dion, you know, like all of these individuals who've helped pave the way for. Um, Afro-Latino talent, and um, it's it's been extremely special.
3: Uh, if people want to reach out and contribute in the name of your brother and, uh, and maybe in Minnie's many, memory, where would you suggest uh, people contribute a, to honor uh, uh, your brother who passed away from ALS? Where would you like uh, people, what charities would you like to look at?
1: Oh, that's such a great question! Thank you for asking. Uh, well, uh, sh- Chicago White Fox charities uh, have meant so much to our family. They connect with so many amazing organizations all throughout Chicago, and I, I would highly recommend if, if anyone like to you know learn more, or perhaps uh, you know make a contribution in their honor. I-, I really would love to to direct your listeners there. Uh, it meant so much to Dad, and and, and also knowing that. Uh, as well, our our late brother, um, who we know is here in spirit as well. Uh, we know that those were the work that they did uh, together, and in, in that organization's behalf is um, it's it's hard to describe. So,
4: Charlie, thank uh, you so much. Enjoy the weekend. Savor the moment, and really appreciate your time this morning.
1: Thank you both so much, and um, look for looking forward to tomorrow. Speak with you all soon. Charlie Rice
4: Minoso, Minnie's son, out in Cooperstown, getting ready for the big day, Bruce. Quite an occasion, quite a celebration, good for the White Sox organization for their role in helping Minnie Minoso get into the Hall of Fame. Never really letting that idea die. And that I, I, was something very important.
3: David, I think the distinction that people miss out on, and uh, Charlie pointed it out toward the end of the interview, is that he was uh, a icon for... Not only uh, Latino people, but uh, but Afri- He was an African, Amer- uh, African uh, Latino, the first one in baseball, and so so he had two crosses to bear uh, as as far as the, the being along with uh, Sam Harrison, the first African American African American uh, player on the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he, many he had uh, a, a couple of different things to, to bear. Uh, that it goes unnoticed and he did it better than than anyone in, in history as far as from a chicago perspective ernie banks was sensational and, and a great representative uh, you know to be able to come in and be the first african-american cub player but many uh you know just seamlessly was loved just as much as ernie was uh, by by chicago fans and the people in the game he was a terrific individual and one that I considered a friend and uh, very privileged to have been a friend of many and have, have been able to watch him as a kid growing up.
4: Well put a long time coming and very deserved Bruce. Minnie Minoso White Sox Hall of Famer tomorrow in Cooperstown. You want to check that out. All right, Bruce, let's get back to baseball. Let's get back to trade speculation. Let's get back to our favorite segment. Should he stay or should he go? We'll talk about Ian Happ next here at Chicago sports radio, 670 the score.
1: As the MLB trade deadline approaches, both sides of town have some decisions to make. So, who should stay and who should go?
4: Should I stay or should I go now?
1: With Bruce Levine and David Haw on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score.
4: Welcome back. Final segment, should I stay or should I go now? Bruce Levine, David Haw, talking about the Cubs' possibilities in this segment. Ian Happ is the one I want to debate, Bruce. Ian Happ is the guy I think will be the subject of a lot of speculation and also interest from teams. We already have heard whispers. I think there was something out on the Twitter machine, some rumors about the Padres mm. looking into Ian Happ in a deal. We know the Cubs' history with the Padres. They're not afraid to make a deal with them. The Yu Darvish trade, the last most recent one, what do you think about Ian Happ in terms of his tradeability, or the way I would go? I would say, should he stay or should he go? He should stay, because if you're going if you're going to rebuild, what? Why not keep a player who can be part of that? And if you're going to get rid of Wilson Contreras, doesn't mean you have to get rid of Ian Happ. Why trade all the good
3: players? All right, uh, is I'll answer that question with a question, David. Uh, Is Ian Hap a $10 million ball player? Yes. Okay. And for how many years?
4: Because you're going to have to
3: answer that question after next season. He's got one more year of eligibility, and then he's a free agent. What's he going to ask
4: for? What is the price tag? His ceiling is higher than it was a year ago because he's made himself into the kind of hitter by making adjustments that you think can continue to improve And when you look at baseball inflation, Bruce, I think $10 million for a player that is now forever an all-star. Yeah, you're the Cubs. We're not talking about the Tampa Bay Rays here. These aren't the Oakland A's, the Kansas City Royals. This is the Chicago Cubs. $10 million for an all-star outfielder. Give me a
3: break. Yes. Are you convinced, you know, up until the last half of last year and the first half of this year, and the last half was basically a month and a half. Of, of great output, Ian Happ has been a very inconsistent player, okay, with a good half here and a bad half there. Are you convinced that that part of his career and his threshold for going uh, beyond that is secure so that uh, you, when you do offer him this long-term deal, uh, the David Haw $50 million contract going <laughs> forward, that that he is that player or still not the inconsistent player that we saw the first you know, five years of his career. I
4: don't think you ever can be sure in any contract negotiation or any free agent acquisition or trade. But, Bruce, I'll say this. With Ian Happ, you feel a degree of confidence because of what he went through to get back to the point of being in this position, of being an all-star. And I trust – Ian Happ above the shoulders as much as I do below because I think mentally he has proven to have, number one, the toughness to endure being sent down to Iowa and coming back and reinventing his career. And number two, he has the baseball intellect that you need, that today's player really needs to access the information, all of it as his disposal, and to to apply it to the weaknesses in his swing, in his fielding, The paths he takes to the baseball, he's become better defensively and offensively because he studies himself. And so that introspection, that conscientiousness, that tells me he's only going to continue to improve. So, Bruce, as sure as I can be about an investment, I would be about Ian Happ.
3: You realize he hit 180 the first uh, four (laughs) months of last year, right? Uh, That was
4: 2021. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I think you've said it all about sports right now. Uh, and look, I'm a big Ian Hep fan. Uh, everything that you mentioned, I agree with. Uh, the, uh, the intellect uh, and the desire he brings to the game. But uh, before I can offer him or think about him as a long-term uh, contract, I have to see him either play out the rest of this year to the level he's played right now, which has been great. His right-handed swing, his defense and left. He's one of the most improved players in baseball without question. Uh, But would that make me hesitate not to trade him for a blue chipper or two, knowing where you're at right now? I don't know. That's a big toss-up for me if I'm Jed Boyer. Yeah, it's a, it's a toss-up for me.
4: It's understandable, the, the caution that you're expressing right now. But here's what drives me crazy about these trade conversations and the reality of, of baseball at the trade deadline, which I, I, I grudgingly accept, but I, I think I sound like you know, yelling at kids to get off my lawn. But here's the thing. The Cubs are going to want what in return for Ian Happ? A bunch of guys who may one day develop into players who make the All-Star game like Ian Happ. So right. I don't know that contractually, financially, it's that big of an investment or a risk to invest to reinvest in a first-round draft pick that you have developed on your watch reflects well on your organization and certainly represents it in an exemplary way to trade him to get three or three guys back or two guys back who might one day grow up to be like Ian Happ. That doesn't make any See, sense. I, you know It's logical
3: to me. You. You have me so excited! I'm calling Craig and Kenny and getting that statue ready for uh, for Ian Happ. It's 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 gonna be uh, it's gonna be out there when they when they present him the 50 million dollar contract last year next year. I'm going and they might as well just have the statue ceremony at the same time. Well, they uh, could
4: have it at Ian Happ's coffee
3: kiosk because they could sell his coffee, put the statue there, I, and it would be an ode him- to Ian. I find him to be a really interesting and and fun guy to talk to, uh, and I, I think he's a great competitor. I applaud him for uh, becoming the player that he is. And he had four hits last night. Uh, you know, again, there's there's a lot to like about Ian Happ. That will not preclude me from seeking out a great trade for him if I feel I'm getting. Something great in return, and and all your points that you made are good ones, David. It's like, you hope you get, like a Pete Crow Armstrong to be as good as Ian Hep is today, okay? Yeah. You hope you hope that he is when you make a trade like that, and and it's and it's a it's a it's a great position, one tough one to argue with. My, my only point is, are you ready with him at 28 to say yes? He's going to be still a very viable player for us when we get to the point where we're competing again.
4: That's a good question. You mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong, be. Bruce. He homered again last night, by the way, if you're paying attention. I know every Cub fan paying attention in South Bend is. Pete Crow Armstrong now I think has 12 home runs this year. Didn't expect that kind of power from him. So, yeah, he's only 20. So, I guess he is a guy that even when you're weighing the ages, I get that. But I, I don't know. I don't, I just don't like Hap going out the door, following Contreras, following Robertson. And now all of a sudden you look around who's
3: left. Well, what if I told you Pete Crow Armstrong was coming up to play left field when they trade Hap? Are you, you feeling better about it then? No, no.
4: That's like <laughs> the, that's like the express train from South Bend to Chicago. You know, that's not hey, a good
3: idea. You think Christopher morell is that much more, uh, uh, Seasoned when he came up here from double-a to uh, play in the major leagues this year
4: Very good question. It would be uncharacteristic of the Cubs though
3: to rush a prospect like Crow Armstrong wouldn't it? They wouldn't want rush a, is he, only used be... when the guy fails the, the, hmm. That the term rush is only when the guy fails when a guy like Morell shows all these signs of not only being uh, a, a talented baseball player, but also uh, a great personality uh, you know, nobody. There's no pushback on Christopher Morel right now. Even when he slumped and you know went through these tough times here, they are they are enjoying the process for him. I think he is is doing pretty well even when he struggles right now at the major league level.
4: I do too. Do you think Pete Crow Armstrong could see major
3: league pitching before the end of this season? No. Okay. But I, 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 would, I don't either. I, I would hope. I I would like to see him, but because we don't have the conventional. Because Major League Baseball has changed their idea about September, and you can't call up right. know, 10 guys anymore. Uh, all that fun stuff about young prospects out the window. You know, it's just like bring up three guys, and uh, you, know, you can have a roster of uh, 29, and, you know, it's they're, they're they're dumbing it down quite a bit right now.
4: Another quick question, um, because if they get rid of Hap, there's going to be open auditions in the outfield. Do you think that it would make sense for Brendan Davis to try to return from that back surgery in June to have uh, a major league uh, appearance in September?
3: I don't know, but I want to know what the mystery of, uh, of uh, Jason Hayward is and where he disappeared to because – to me, they still have a year left To Jason Hayward. Haven't heard ever since he hurt his knee. We haven't heard anything about the guy. And uh, th- that's another outfield thing we can uh, pursue next week on our show, David. Well, that
4: will be worth pursuing because that conversation has got to be an awkward one between Hayward and Ross or Hayward and, and Jed Hoyer or Hayward or, and whoever because of his status. But you're right, Bruce. We got to go. Big day today. Here on the score, the Cubs and the Phillies later today, Marcus Stroman, Zach Wheeler, pregame with Zach at 430. The White Sox have a
3: doubleheader on the south side, and we have people to thank. We do indeed. We thank uh, Charlie Rice Minoso for joining us. We thank our good friend Tyler Kepner from the New York Times for joining us. And, of course, uh, the good people of the White Sox helped us uh us bring in uh, Gavin Sheets to be on our show. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine On our website at 670thescore.com Have a great baseball weekend and week David. I will talk to you next Saturday.
4: Thanks Bruce. We'll be back next Saturday with Inside the Clubhouse. We'll talk to you throughout the week on Haw Monday morning at 5.30 Dustin Rhodes pregame at 5 and we will give way to Steve Rosenblum who is next. Thanks for joining us on Inside the Clubhouse Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.